Where Kindness Lives is designed to cultivate a kinder world by helping to inform and inspire. Hosted by Jenny Sager from Nextdoor, the neighbourhood network connecting you to what truly matters so you can belong. We'll chat to the most thought-provoking individuals paving the way for positive change and hear from neighbours who deliver small acts of kindness every day. So come on a journey to where kindness lives. Hi, I'm Jenny Sager. My guest today is Debbie Shore, founder of Share Our Strength, an American nonprofit making enormous inroads, ensuring millions of children don't go without the basic meals to fuel their future. Deb's story is one of hope, aspiration, and how the power of small acts of kindness can deliver enormous change in whatever neighborhood you call home. Debbie Shore, welcome to Where Kindness Lives. We start all of our chats by asking the guests what kindness means to them. So what does kindness mean to you? I feel like um, kindness starts with listening and not just listening, but actually hearing and processing what someone needs or wants. And so, um, you know, just, you know, instead of just like doing an act that you think is kind, thinking about what someone needs and, you know, the difference between um, maybe someone is, I was thinking about this recently. The question prompted me to think about someone who missed their plane that was going to a dinner and I knew that they had missed their flight. So sending, you know, a cheese plate and wine to their hotel. So that, so that's just sort of listening and hearing what they're going through. So I think it starts with listening. I love that. Do you have any tips for people of how to become a a better listener? This is a subject that I really love because people think listening is just being quiet. No. (laughs) Um, I'm I'm a talker, but I'm also a listener, I'd like to think. I think you have to practice it. You know, I'm trying to get my daughter to think about it. You have to not just be quiet. You have to hear it think about it. You, you can do it quickly and then respond or not respond. It doesn't always need a response, but practicing, processing what you've heard, I, I think is the key. I do want to talk to you about how you started Share Our Strength with your brother, I believe about 30 years ago. What made you tackle these issues around poverty and food and, and why was that important to you? I have to give my brother the credit for having the idea. And it was, I I keep this in my inbox at work. There's an article that came out in the New York Times about the millions of people that were at risk of dying of starvation in Ethiopia. And that was the, that was the impetus, honestly. We had both worked in, we're currently working in government at the time, working for a senator who was a senator at the time, but then ran for president. And we worked on that campaign. And we really felt, and my brother really felt this almost physical response to what he had seen about Ethiopia. And government doesn't always address things right away, but private citizens can. Governments also do. But this was something that we thought as a private citizen we could take on. And so we really quickly set the organization up. I mean, it was just a matter of weeks and just had this very strong sense that um, jumping into the, the name of the organization, but had this very strong sense that people wanted to be fulfilled if they were given an opportunity to share their strength, their skill, their passion, their network, what they do for a living, finding a way to be connected to something larger than yourself. And it was just, it was a really strong instinctual core belief. And it's turned out to be as true today as it was 30 plus years ago. And did you have moments where you just went, oh, this is crazy. It's all too hard. We can't do this. Yeah. You know, of course, your memory could be kind. My, my memory is, and I remember those early days and they were so 
sweet because it was just a few of us starting out and there was, there were no barriers. You could do, like kind of do or try anything that you thought might be a good idea, might move the idea forward. And so it was really all, it was really all upside. You know, there was no one to say, don't try that. We had no barriers in front of us. And, and um, we got enough early endorsement, early positive reinforcement that it kind of just kept us going. It, we were not easily deterred, but it, it, it felt easier to me. Maybe it's just hindsight, but it really does feel like when you grow, uh, as we have, and to be fair, a lot less impact in the early days, right? Like we really weren't, we, we weren't, it wasn't as challenging, but we also weren't doing, we also didn't have the impact that we have today, of course. But um, as the organization grows, both in terms of staff, money, and reputation, there's a lot more to look out for and and a lot more to be responsible for and accountable for. So um, I would choose this over that because we are making a real difference in the world. But in terms of how I remember it feeling, uh, easier then than it is now. Did you find in the early days, and I, I wonder if it's different now, that people were surprised by the stats and how severe this issue is in the U.S.? Yeah, people were surprised that we had hunger in America. For one reason, and, and Ethiopia is a great <clears throat> uh, kind of bookend to this, because in Ethiopia, sadly and tragically, people were dying of hunger and starvation. We don't die of starvation in the United States, but we do have hunger. And persistent hunger really does affect the body and the mind. It's got cognitive and physical um, repercussions. And, and so it's invisible here. Hunger is invisible. It's very visible in some countries where you've got more abject poverty and starvation. There are physical attributes that we see with the distended belly and so on and sort of the, the skin and bones. We, we thankfully don't have that in the United States, but we do have hunger um, and we have it um, in urban, rural and suburban communities in this country. And, and, and unlike Ethiopia, you know, there's, almost, there's really no excuse for it except for really um, just the political will to end it. We have money, we have programs, we have services, we have plentiful in all of those categories, yet we have hunger because we have a lack of access to food in a lot of cases, especially if you are under-resourced and, and, and poor and, and don't know where to get the resources or are, there are barriers to that, to that access. And so the No Canary campaign was launched to, you know, in short, identify the barriers on the ground in all communities and get in there and understand why kids aren't getting access to food at school, after school, on the weekends, through the summer, and eliminate those barriers. And that's what we've done to, to uh, a pretty significant degree. Before the pandemic, we had pushed hunger down to levels never seen before, lowest numbers we've seen in decades. And of course, the pandemic has changed that. But but that's the capability of this campaign. And is one of the problems the stigma associated with hunger across America? And ha how do you break that stigma? And as you just said, make it clear that this is an issue that isn't just in certain areas or, or certain types of people that affects everybody, really? Well, I, I think the stigma is strongest with kids, which is pretty much our focus. Um, you know, we have these federal nutrition programs that are we're so fortunate to have them. Our, our government reimburses 100% of the meals for poor children, children who are eligible for free and reduced school meals. 
for free meals and or and or reduced school meals. Um, but it's true that that one of the biggest barriers is the stigma that kids feel when they walk into a school and they have to get in a certain line or show us something and get a meal. And, and we know for a fact that they don't do it. Many don't do it. Or or sometimes they don't get to school on time. They, they get to school on time, but not to the cafeteria on time where the meal is being served. So our solution to that was to get breakfast out of the cafeteria at 7.30 and into the classroom a little bit later, whenever the class starts. So breakfast in classroom or breakfast after the bell, whatever you want to call it. And that really became our North Star for the No Killing Campaign was to get as many schools. And it's almost like turning a ship in the ocean because you're changing the way schools feed kids out of the cafeteria and into the classroom and all the barriers that that presented around, um, uh, you know, the fears that teachers would have to clean it up or they would lose instruction time, who would serve the meal. And, and the reality was that losing instruction in time wasn't an issue because you'd lose the entire day if a kid wasn't fed. So, you know, you were already going to lose instruction time. This way you, you were at least going to gain um, their attention after, after they've had something to eat in the classroom. I think one of the great things about Nextdoor is that, you know, that the, the usual Nextdoor neighbor globally is somebody who's really community-minded and really wants to help out at the neighborhood level. And we see so much great volunteer and community work happening on Nextdoor around the world every day. Are there things that people who are listening can do to help with this issue or um, things at the community and neighborhood level that they can do to just kind of chip in and, and help? Thank you for asking that. They can definitely go to our site, nokinhungry.org, and there's just a bunch of ways to get involved. There's volunteer ways in the different cities. There's making a financial contribution, which we always appreciate. There's getting involved with events, getting involved with local community partners. Our partners are listed there. So nokinhungry.org, and I think you can find a number of ways to get involved in almost any community across the country. I think, um, as I mentioned from my own personal experience, it's certainly an issue that any parent can relate to. And you have some incredible celebrity champions, yeah. Kristen Bell, yeah. Pink, you know, they, they've all commented yeah. on what you're doing. How, how do you work with these people and, and how did they come to you and get on board? The best champions for us are those who come to us with an authentic desire to get involved with No Canary and Feed Kids. And, and the two that you mentioned, including someone like Jeff Bridges and all of our chef champions, of which we have many, really are those people. I mean, we, we do less looking for a celebrity and a lot more thanking a celebrity who comes to us and says, uh, read about, heard about, saw what you're doing, and I really want to get involved. And so um, people like Kristen Bell and Pink and Jeff Bridges and, and others I, I think of them as really authentic champions. They, for various reasons, feel very passionately about feeding kids. And they have used their platform and their celebrity and their financial uh, strength to help us. Um, and we're really lucky to have them because they're, they're, as I said, they're kind of just the real voice behind, behind a lot of this work. Well, it speaks to the amazing work that you're doing, obviously. Um, one thing we always do on this podcast is we share a next-door neighbor story, and I, I will get to that in a minute, but I actually want to share one of your stories that we read about on your website, um, and it's the story of Jackie Bogart, who's a, a mother from New York who actually was forced to dumpster dive to feed her kids and then shared her story to really just 
share and and put that lived personal experience into it to make people realize, as we were talking about before, that this is an issue that impacts so many people from different walks of life. So can you tell us a little bit about Jackie's story and why sharing that lived experience is important? Yeah. And if I recall, she ended up going to a local food bank or a feeding site, or maybe it was a pantry. And instead of sort of being someone who needed their services, they asked her to share her story and leverage her voice. And it gave her a tremendous amount of strength and confidence and self-worth to do that. Um, and, and I think that's a broader, very true kind of lesson for people. When you, I don't, I'm not even sure why, but when you get outside of yourself and when you start helping in the community, you really get this strong, uh, I think, empower, you, you feel empowered. And that's what she needed at the time. And it's changed her life. Feeling like you can make a difference. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to be, um, you know, a CEO or a celebrity. You, you as a regular individual and someone who's struggling with hunger herself for her children, you can make a difference as well. So it was, it, I, it was an inspiring story. And the fact that she was able to feel so empowered by using her voice um, was, it was a beautiful thing to learn about. Yeah. I want to play um, that soundbite for um, one of our next door neighbor stories from one of our next door neighbor stories. This woman's name is Katrina. We call her cat. And um, she is one of our next door neighbors in Australia. And she had a beautiful story where she was struggling and her neighbors actually surprised her by by paying for her groceries. So I'm just going to play this audio for you, and I'd love to hear your reaction. Coming to the shopping centre one day really changed your perspective on life, didn't it? It did. I'd been running back and forth to Ballarat looking after family, and we're all through COVID, losing work, battling work, trying to make ends meet, and I had forgotten I'd bought oil, and I'm going through the supermarket, embarrassed, putting one item back after another, and a lovely lady said, here, I'll pay for your groceries, and I went, no, 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 and then I'm still going back, and she paid for the lot. And it brought tears to my eyes, and I thought, I'm going to go home, put this up on the on the on the uh, next door, and just you know, just say how good people are. Yeah. I didn't expect so many people to comment on it. Yeah. And it just started one thing forward, and everyone talking about how they'd done it for someone else. What she's talking about there is just how important it is to pay it forward, and and how kindness is contagious. And I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. Well, I agree with her 100. percent And kindness bring, breeds kindness. Um, you know, when someone is kind to you, you want to be kind to somebody else. And I think when you practice kindness, you definitely recognize how good it feels. Um, And I think you want to do it more and more. But I also think it is a conscious choice. And I think it's something that can be practiced. Um, if, if, If you don't see it around you, you probably don't do it, I would imagine. I have a lot of kind people around me and it does remind me to be kind and, you know, but you have to practice it. And I think it's a, uh, as I said, I I do think it's a conscious choice to, to, to do acts of kindness. I don't think, I'm not sure it comes natural for everybody. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, but that was, that's a beautiful story. And, um, and there are a lot of opportunities to be kind every day, all the time. Is there someone in your life that stands out as, as someone who was, you know, overly kind to you along the way? You know, my brother is an incredibly kind person. He's two years older than me. He's, he's, 
I think he's aware of his kindness and it's a, he's aware of how good it makes him feel. And he, I don't think he does it unnaturally. I think he's very kind that way. Another is a, a dear friend who, for, for some lucky reason, has decided that he's in my life just to make my life better. I'd love to hear your tips for anyone who is listening who would love to start a, a purpose-driven organization like yours. Do you have tips for people that want to start their own organization? One has to have a, an idea. <laughs> You'd be surprised. People do come to me from time to time and they say, I'm going to start an organization. I want to lead one. And they don't necessarily even have an issue that they want to take on. To be honest, we were just talking about this in our office recently. My brother had the idea to start Share of Strength because he was literally and physically moved and touched, compelled, if you will, to do something about Ethiopia when he learned about it. When he called me to do it with him, that moment, it was just shortly after he had had this idea, and I said, yes, I love the idea of starting an organization and working with him. Of course, the issue spoke to me, but not as deeply as it did and after I became a mother. When I became a mother, food for my daughter, nutrition, fuel, energy, health, all those things were heightened. Doesn't mean that you have to have a child to feel that way. But for me, the difference between share our strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign before and after Sophie was is very, you know, clear to me. You know, you have to have a reason for what you want to start. And we didn't do a lot of market, we didn't do any market research, honestly. We didn't do any testing or market research or surveys or anything. We had a very strong instinct. And, and I think we had general knowledge of what existed in the country. I guess to go back to that question then, one, one tip I would offer is to, is to bounce it off some people that you look up to and respect in or outside of the industry that you that you want to get into and, and get some feedback. Luckily, we got a lot of positive feedback around it. One thing right. that we always do at the end of this podcast is we have a bit of fun. We do what's called the kind carousel, which is different kinds of questions. So here we go. Okay, if there was a Hollywood movie made about Share Our Strength and someone had to play you, who would your pick be? Stalker Channing. Oh, that is a great call. That actually is a perfect casting call. Well done. Okay. Um, What do you do to be kind to yourself? You're kind to so many people. How do you be kind to yourself? I go to Mexico. Mexico's where my, my heart is. I mean, my heart is here too, of course, but my real... The place that I love more than Washington or the States would be, would be Mexico. As a former political advisor, what's the best piece of advice that someone gave you? You know, in politics and share of strength and probably everywhere, you're, you're basically selling yourself. People join your cause because of you often. And so I think how you present yourself, how you talk about the cause that you care about, the issue that you care about, that's the winning strategy. That is such good advice. And also great segue to our next question. Let's say I had a magic wand a magic wand, and food insecurity was completely solved. No more hunger issues anywhere in the world. Is there an issue that you would tackle next? Well, would that include poverty? Because hunger is a symptom of poverty and, and poverty is something that we, when I think about poverty and I think about the reasons why families struggle in the first place, that's some emerging work that we're starting to, to do, which is 
we're calling it family economic opportunity, but thinking of how do we start to impact that issue so that kids aren't hungry in the first place. Poverty or hunger is both a cause and a consequence of poverty. And um, we've always looked at hunger as something that was solvable because we believe that it is. Poverty is much more complex and, and we're starting to tackle that right now. But let's say poverty and hunger, there was no poverty or hunger in the United States. I would tackle it somewhere else in the world is what I would do. And I don't doubt that for a second because you're doing such incredible work across America and we can't thank both you and your brother enough for kicking that off. I mean, hats off to you guys. And can you just share with everyone again, if they want to get involved, where can they go and and how do they do that? Yes, you can go to nokidhungry.org and you can listen to our podcast. We have a podcast called Add Passion and Stir, which is a little bit about what we've talked about today, about people, passion, and how to make a difference in the world. Um, you can go to, you can follow us wherever you get your podcasts and please listen to Add Ad Passion and Stir. There you go. You can listen to both podcasts one after the other. <laughs> and if you want to get involved at the community level, please don't forget to connect with your neighbors now by just downloading the Nextdoor app for free, or you can go to nextdoor.com anywhere in the world and sign up today. Debbie, thank you so much. It's been so great to meet you and we hope to see you again soon. And, and again, thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 